Luke chapter 24, if we can, please. Let's stand together. Brother um, Murhowski is going to lead us in reading somewhat of a large, uh, large passage of Scripture, 24. I don't believe I'll preach long this evening. Someone said, your sermons remind me of the mercies of God. Uh, I thought they were going to endure forever, you know. But uh, I don't think I'll preach long this evening. I, I want to respect the time on an Easter night that you're here. There's some folks over in the East Overflow room or over here. I want us to ask you not to talk. I saw you talking to the entire song service. Not everybody in there, but on this left side. Let's don't do that. You know, we're not there to talk or we're there to listen. And everywhere throughout the building, let's be sure we're respectful of those around us. I can't imagine trying to listen with someone just talking the whole time during the middle of the service. Let's make sure that we're where we're supposed to be. We'll begin in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to read beginning verse number 13 down through uh, 35 or so. And uh, I thank God for Brother Adam Rahowski and his beautiful wife, Atina, and family. They have a great servants of Christ, and I'm so grateful for their family and their children. And uh, he's going to lead us in reading the scripture tonight. There. I'm with you there in Luke 24. Starting in verse 13, we'll read responsively all the way to 35. Verse 13, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another, as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto him, What things? And they said unto him, and they said unto him Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon, and together. 
And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. So many things, Father, that we uh, ought to be thankful for and that we are thankful for. Yeah, the service has stirred in our hearts to be thankful for. Father, we uh, think especially today of the resurrection and the things that we have because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we have our church, we have our pastor, we have salvation, we have our families because of the resurrection. Thank you, Father, for the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and for rising from the dead. Lord, we ask your blessings now upon this service. Thank you for our pastor. Please speak to our hearts. And we ask again that you help Youth Revival this week, that the hearts of our young people be soft and tender, and that they would do what it is that you'd have them do, Lord. For your sake we ask. Amen. Thank you, Brother Adam. Thank you, church family. I love being with you, and I thank you so much for your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. Um, why don't we just say that together real quickly. I love the Lord Jesus. You ready? I love. I think that's a good thing to do, and I think we could even say that to him. Lord, I love you. Can we say that? Lord, and I love the Lord, and I'm so grateful to go to church with people who love Christ. And I'm very thankful as we talk about the resurrection today. We've gone to the book of Luke, and we've been studying through the book of Luke, but I kind of skipped ahead to chapter 23 and 24, and uh, we've learned a little bit about the crucifixion. Over 60% of what Luke shares with us in his gospel is original with him. He shares a lot of things that God has given him to share with us in a unique way. But he describes the crucifixion really in just four words, there at Calvary, they crucified him. He spoke about a place. He spoke, he spoke about a people who took his life. And it was our sins that took him on, on the cross. He talked about a crucifixion, the payment of sin. Someone had to die so we could live. And then he talked about the person, him. Jesus was crucified. Kind of a unique way. There are much more details in the book of John and some in Mark and Matthew and Mark. But in Luke, it's just there. They crucified him. And I'm so grateful that God loved me so much. I shared with you this morning, I was witnessing to a man this week, and he told me, he said, I, I have a problem with that. If you do sin, no one else should have to pay for your sin for you. If you do the crime, you should do the time. And I said, that shows you. But that is that God wants to demonstrate his love to us. And though we were yet sinners, what did he do? He died for us. He loves us. And that is the, the whole Old Testament is the innocent dying for the guilty. And Jesus was that innocent one. That's why John the beloved, John the Baptist said to him, Behold, the Lamb of God that is what? Takes away the sin of the world. The innocent dying for the guilty. And that's what the crucifixion is about. That's what the cross is about. And we sing, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. There the burdens of my heart rolled away. Because meeting Jesus at the cross and accepting the payment of your sin is the most important thing anyone can do. Every religious, uh, every religious system has some form of sacrifice. But what a beautiful thing to realize that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And we need to exchange our sin for his sacrifice on the cross. Of course, Jesus is the mediator. He's hung between heaven and earth, and, and uh, he there, he's mocked. He has malefactors on both sides, both of them as thieves and known criminals. And one says, get you off the cross. The other one says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And then uh, from there, he, he makes his way uh, to the Heavenly Father. And then there are three miracles. The sun doesn't shine in the middle of the day from noon to 3 o'clock. The temple veil is rent from top to bottom, opening up access to every individual. It's not just one high priest one time a year. It's you and me. We have access to God because there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He is a, and then the miracle of conviction. The centurion is convicted at the cross, and he realized that's a righteous man there that just died. God brought conviction. The people who went just to observe another crucifixion, they'd had many of them uh, that Roman, the Roman Empire would put them up and make sure he brought fear into the hearts of people. You want to go against the Roman Empire, see what's going to happen to you. They had seen that many times. The centurion had seen it many times, but he realized this time we got the wrong guy. He's a righteous man. And other people who came just to spectate walked away banging their chest and saying, something's not right about this. And feeling conviction in their own heart that I'm a sinner. Someone just died for my sin. And I think the Holy Spirit drew people. And then, of course, those who had already accepted him, the disciples went and followed afar off. And then we see Joseph and Nicodemus go and, and petition uh, Pilate to take the body and to put him into an empty tomb that he had that had never been used by anyone else. And he was virgin born, and he was laid in a virgin tomb. Neither of them had been used and, and uh, had, had been occupied. And there he goes into that tomb and spends, uh, he is wrapped and women follow far off and weep and cry. And Joseph and Nicodemus, two wealthy men who probably, if you could imagine, trying to pull the, the beaten bludgeon, dried blood off of Jesus and washing him and, and preparing his body and wrapping every portion of it with linen, expensive uh, spices and myrrh and alloys, uh, 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 spices and wrapping it up and then laying it into a tomb. Doing that and doing that before 6 p.m. that night when they would start the Passover. Everybody now is making their way back to their houses and, and lots of disillusionment taking place under, the, uh, under the, what had just happened. Even his own disciples just tore up. Judas had gone out and hanged himself, and, and, uh, or he is no longer. And, and uh, now the 11 disciples are there and the people that are there with them, and their hearts are heavy, disillusioned, confused, sad. We find that uh, three days go by. Of course, Cleophas reminds of that. This has all been three days since it happened. Now it's Sunday morning. They're off their six o'clock time there when they get done with the Sabbath day and they come in Sunday morning early in the morning. The ladies come. It's kind of interesting. Luke mentions 43 times ladies in the Bible, far more than any of the other authors. He mentions the precious ladies who come. And boy, I just say again, as I said this morning, how I thank God for the testimony of godly women throughout history and in this church family, those who have served in years gone by and those who serve right now, those who are serving the nursery and those who 
who love and minister uh, WMS. I was thinking about that, reading one of our missionary letters, bragging about uh, the love that they felt and, and the appreciation they felt from the WMS. Thank God for the precious ladies in our church who are bus captains and bus workers and, and ministers and Sunday school teachers and nursery workers and so many different roles, musicians. Well, these ladies followed, they came to the tomb, and when they came there, they found it empty. Perplexed is the word God uses here. They, were, they didn't know what to think. And we find that uh, the people related were Joseph and Nicodemus and, the, of course, the, uh, the ladies there. But then we see a proclamation that is, that is given there. And the proclamation comes from two angels in white, shining raiment. And they say, you know, why are you looking for a live man in the graveyard? He said, why seek you the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And, uh, but they're, they're trying to put that together. They didn't know all that happened. That's not what they expected to have happened to them. But they received the information there, and they went back to the place. I don't know what place it was. The Bible doesn't tell us. It could have been Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' place in Bethany because that's where Jesus would resort to. It seemed like they had a large enough complex to host house people. It could have been the upper room that they would eventually stay in for 10 days waiting for the Holy Spirit of God to come. could have been the place where they had the Last Supper. I don't know. But wherever it is, not, it's irrelevant. But they went back to that place and, and they began to convey what had just happened. And of course, the Bible tells us the problem is that their faith was not there. They believed not. They didn't, they didn't believe them. They, they thought they were saying like idle, empty stories. Here are these people that had done, and of course, the, the angel said, don't you remember what he told you? He told you in Matthew chapter 17 and Luke chapter 18. He rehearsed you for this. He spent much of John chapters 13, 14, 15 telling them, I've got to go, and it's good for me to go so the Holy Spirit can come, and I go to prepare a place for you. I'll come again. He told him as a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You forgot about that? He told you about as, the son, as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the earth, but he'll be resurrected. All through the Scriptures, he told them that. He said, don't you remember that? And they went and told him. And then Peter left and he went with John. John is not mentioned here in the book of Luke, but he's mentioned in the book of John. And they immediately understand the tomb is empty, so they run. Peter runs and John runs and John outruns him. He gets there before he does. And they look inside and they see that the linen clothes are there. They see that the napkin is folded at the head. And, of course, years ago, I heard Brother Clyde Box talk about that, why the fold and napkin. And, of course, it goes back to somewhat of a, of a master-slave uh, understanding. And whenever a, whenever a, uh, a, a, a master would, uh, would want, his, um, would want to, someone to take away his food or something, he, he, would, he would have a code with his servant. And uh, if he was done, he would just wad the napkin up, and just put it on the side. But if he's going to step away to go to the restroom or go to the garden or someplace else, he would fold the napkin so that the slave knew, don't take away the plate. 
And, of course, a folded napkin there reminds us that he's coming back. He's not going to stay gone. He's coming back again. A great reminder there. But then we find a story that Luke includes with the road to Emmaus. Two people, probably a man and his wife. Not necessarily, it's not, it's not emphatic in that, but Cleophas is one of the names. And potentially a man and his wife, it's been a long day. A lot of things have happened, and Peter has seen the empty tomb, and John has seen it, and it confirmed what the lady said. And now this man, and potentially his wife, at least another follower of Jesus Christ, they're walking home, and they're sad. There's a lot of things have gone on. They've no doubt seen the crucifixion from afar off. They've spent the three days going through the, the Passover and and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And now they're, they're, now the girls have come back and said to the disciples and to all of us there that the body's gone. He has risen and two angels have told us that's the case. But they don't know where Jesus is. And so they make their way back to Emmaus, about seven miles, they estimate, from the place and it's been a long time since I walked seven miles, and I certainly have not ran seven miles in many years. Last time I tried to do that, I was in a cross-country race, and I threw up violently afterwards. But uh, nonetheless, uh, seven miles, a, a little bit of a piece. From here, from, the, from our door to Howes Anderson College is 13 miles. From here to Hammond Baptist is 11 miles. So we're talking about somewhere in the middle of Highland, probably, you're going that direction. They were walking and making their way back to Emmaus. And they meet a stranger. The Bible says they're sad. They're downtrodden. Got the poochy lift disease probably. Could imagine Cleophas kicking the dirt as he walks. And trying to make sense out of all that's happened. Talking about the situation. And then... From their sadness comes a stranger. Let's look at the passage of Scripture. I think it would be better for us to hear it the way God says it. Luke chapter 24 will begin in verse number 13. And behold, the two of them went to the same day to a village called Emmaus, which is from Jerusalem about three score furlongs, seven miles. And they talked together in all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near. And went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. He came on the walk with them, but they didn't know who he was. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one with another as you walk and are sad? It's a question that Jesus asked them. And one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Where have you been? Are you just visiting here just today? And hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto them, what things? Once again, God doesn't ask questions for information. And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, with his prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our, our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. And we trusted that he had been as uh, which, which should have redeemed Israel. They supposed a different role for Jesus, a different outcome. 
May I just say to you, sometimes that gets us unfulfilled expectations can really disappoint a person. When you thought by now, life would be different for you. The things you thought were going to happen didn't happen. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. These guys are sick. They're just what they had expected, and of course they didn't get it. Jesus explained to them that this is all going to happen, but they just couldn't process it, or they didn't process it, or didn't have the faith to process it. By the way, if you have unfulfilled expectations in your life, and all of us do, all of us have felt by this time something would have come to fruition that we've been waiting for, something could, could come, and it's not come. It didn't come. It may not ever come in the way that we think. And by the way, when we pray, we can know that God answers prayer. Sometimes he answers our prayer directly. Sometimes he denies our prayer and says, no, I'm not doing that for you. One of the greatest things you'll praise God for for eternity is for unanswered prayers or knows that God said, boy, sometimes I've prayed some prayers. I am so glad God didn't answer that prayer because that girl was ugly. I'm just joking. <laughs> oh, there's some prayers I prayed that I thought, oh, man, Lord, I'm glad you did not answer that prayer. Sometimes he answers directly. Sometimes he answers uh, with a denial. Sometimes he answers with a delay. Sometimes he just says, you know what, you need to wait on that for a little bit. It's not a good time for you. And by the way, God knows what time it is. Boy, we don't like, if we don't get what we want, sometimes we throw a fit. I'm going to quit going to church. I'm going to quit doing this. Well, that's silly. Trust God. Don't, don't uh, spend all your life fighting something that happened to you at the expense of all the things that God's done for you. Don't turn your anguish and your frustration toward the God of heaven. Take him off trial. But these folks are sick. And the way he answers our prayer is sometimes a different way. Instead of answers directly what we thought, would, he gives us an answer that's better than that. I'm glad for the verse, my mother's favorite verse, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And boy, he either changes your desire or he gives you what, exactly what, what would be best for us. And I love that about God. But they're miserable. This didn't happen. We thought he was going to set up his kingdom and he could live here and we could get out of this Roman oppression. It didn't happen. And you see sadness. You see a stranger. You see someone who supposed something a little different. Yea, the certain women, verse 22, also of our company, made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. He said, this happened this morning. He reminds us in verse 21 that besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. He says three days ago that he died and he was put to death. And then this morning, early in the morning, they went to the sepulcher and the girls came back astonished and surprised us. And when they found not his body, verse 23, they came and said that they had also seen the vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them, aren't you glad he's alive? And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, with him they saw not. But him they saw not. That was, that was Jane, or excuse me, John and Peter. Some of them went right there real quick, and they came back and said, they, they, it's empty, but they don't know where he is. Then it's beautiful. Here's what the Lord Jesus, now he speaks up. After he listened to them talk, then he said unto them, O fools, or ignorant one, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. 
said, you just, you just got, a, you got a callous heart that doesn't receive, doesn't believe. By the way, faith is the most important thing about us. Uh, Jude would say, you must earnestly contend for the faith. Paul would tell, fight the good fight of faith. Hebrews reminds us, without faith, it's impossible, these guys said, you guys don't believe what God has already put in his word. By the way, you want to believe the Bible. So he begins with the prophets, and notice what he says in the next verse, verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? He said, didn't you read your Bible, what the prophets predicted? I'm sure he took them. Well, look at verse number 27. Read it out loud with me, would you please? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets. No doubt he went back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he reminded them it would be the seed of a woman to bruise, bruise the head of a serpent. He probably talked to them about Isaiah, how that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son. She'll call his name Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. No doubt it took him to Isaiah chapter 53. Psalms 22, that is a messianic psalm that tells about the sufferings of Christ. Psalm 16, where he said that he would not let his Holy One see corruption. He rose again the third day. Remember, whenever Lazarus died, he was dead for how many days? Four days. And he said, no, 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 we can't open the tomb because by now he's decaying. He's corrupting. He said, no, he said, no I'm not going to let my Holy One see corruption. He no doubt went through the scriptures. He went through Zechariah. Zechariah, and he also went, no doubt, through Micah and talked about where he would be born and maybe walked them through those things from the scriptures, the Old Testament and the Psalms. And the, uh, you'll see in, in chapter 24, verse 44, he expounded to them and his, later on his disciples of, the, of how that Jesus is in all of our Bible. He's in the law, he's in the, he's in the prophets, and he's in the Psalms. All through the scriptures you can find Jesus. Well, he began to tell them the things concerning Jesus. Verse 28, and as he drew nigh unto the village, whether they went, he made as though he would have gone farther. And they constrained him. He said, you know, guys, it's been fun talking to you. Thank you for your time. I hope you guys, I know you guys are getting off here. I'll, I'll see you a little later. But the Bible says they weren't satisfied with that. They said, hold the phone, Joan. That's in the Greek. He said, hang on. No, 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 no. You can't keep going. It's, look what, the, it's night. It's coming on the evening. You've got to come with us. Oh, you've got to stay with us. Stay at her house. And the Bible says that they constrained him. By the way, you can be as close to God as you want to be. If you want him to abide with you, draw near to God and he will. He's not, he's not reluctant. Even prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is playing into God's willingness to answer your prayer. He wants to spend, if you don't spend time with God, that's your fault. If I, don't spend, I can get as close to God as I want to be. It's so tragic. To see those of us who are saved, and I'm guilty of this. I've got, I've got the same amount of time in every week as you do. But how much time are we interested in the things of God? How much time we scroll through social media at the expense of spending time with the Lord? How much time do we just waste when we could be in communion with the Lord? 
They constrained him. Lord, no, 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 sir. Stay, stay with us. They didn't know who he was. They just knew that something, they were having what we Bible calls holy heartburn. Their hearts were burning as they were listening to him. They're thinking, man, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that verse, oh, that's, that makes sense. As he listened to the Old Testament prophets and the Psalms and, and Deuteronomy as he spoke about the branch and all through the scriptures that Jesus was coming and he was going to, Daniel chapter 9, verse number 24, 25, 26, it would talk about the Messiah would be cut off. And all these, now they're connecting the dots. By the way, nothing helps connect the dots quite like the scriptures do. And the Bible says, the entrance of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. Whenever you and I have a relationship with the Bible, a lot more things, you have a lot more aha moments. Like, oh, that, I know what that means. I know what that's going on. I don't have to be afraid about that. I don't have to be nervous. I don't have to get all, all squirrely about that. I, I know what the Bible says. Well, this stranger who had given them the scriptures he says, well, guys, it's been fun. I know you got to get off here. I'm going to keep on going. They said, no, 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 stay with us. He constrained them to be with him. Let's continue if we can, please. And the Bible says in verse 29, and they constrained him, saying, abide with us. First toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave unto them. And their eyes were what? And they knew him. And then he vanished out of sight. By the way, Jesus is now in his glorified body. I believe that probably he has continual wounds in his hands. I don't think he has scars there. I've got scars on my body. You have scars on your body. But if you have a wound, you're going to be very careful about that. And I, I don't know for sure. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think there are some passages of Scripture in the Old Testament that confirm the possibility that he has wounds that he may have for all eternity, a continual reminder of our sin against him. But in that process that they're eating meal together, he takes the bread and he begins to break it and pray and bless it. And there's an aha moment there. And they say, oh, I see those hands. I see the wounds. And their spiritual eyes are illuminated. They realize, okay, we're dealing with Jesus, and he disappears out of their sight. Now, this is interesting here. I think that something you're going to find, Jesus in his glorified body. And I don't have my glorified body yet, and you don't have yours yet. But one day, a glorified body seems to have ability to be in one place and then go to another place. Uh, even though it's a body that will enjoy food, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. It is, he actually will eat. He will eat. They'll give him broiled fish and give him something to eat here. So he, it's an eating body. It's the marriage supper of the lamb. Of course, that's coming up during our party with our, our wonderful Savior one day. But nonetheless, the, the glorified body doesn't have warts or doesn't have moles. It doesn't have deformities. No teeth are crooked. It's a glorified body. But it's one that seems to be visible, obviously. Jesus was visible. But also something that can, that can be at one place and then vanish to another place if need be. Kind of interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to experiencing that. 
in this situation, he walks with them. They break bread, and then they have an aha moment. This is Jesus. Notice here what happens whenever they meet and realize who Jesus is. Look, if you would please, at the next verse, if you would please. In verse 31, again, their eyes were open. And they knew him, he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened us the scriptures? And they rose up and came to that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. How far is Jerusalem back? Seven miles. They've already walked one way there, and they turn around and come back. Could have been a man and a wife, could have been two men, but none of the matter. matter. They they walk 14 miles round trip in the middle of the evening, in the dark of the night, after they had already eaten, they'd already revealed Jesus. Now they turn around and come right back to Jerusalem to meet with the others. Look, if you would please. And they found the 11 gathered together, and them that were with him, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. And hath appeared to Simon, they told what things were done in the way and how that he had known unto them in breaking of bread. Then verse 36, read it with me, and we'll just we'll conclude with a couple thoughts here real quickly. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself, and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And of course, they gathered together, seven-mile walk back, and no doubt they probably were hastened to get back. They were excited to tell what they had just experienced. They come back in, the 11 apostles are there, minus Judas, obviously. The people are there and they're saying, you know, we've seen him. We saw his hands. He talked with us, by the way, and boy, our hearts burned within us when we realized who Jesus was. You know, I I would just say tonight on this Easter evening, it's really important that at least those of us who know Jesus, who have accepted his son, accepted his sacrifice, get to know him. Meet him in a real way. Now, in this room, there are people who do not know Jesus yet. You know, and God knows, that you're not saved. You have so far have not accepted the gift of eternal life. And if that's you, I'd like to encourage you, don't do anything tonight before getting saved. I want to encourage you. I remember the night I got saved. And there are some folks right here, you need to be saved. You may say, Pastor, I don't even know what saved means. As soon as we had the first note of the invitation, I want you to come and let someone explain to you. At least, there's no pressure. You can just have it explained to you. By the way, if you are saved, the next thing God wants you to do is to follow him in baptism. You don't get baptized so you can be saved. You get baptized because you're saved. You don't get baptized for you. You get baptized for him. Why did Jesus get baptized? Fulfill all righteousness. He knew it was the right thing to do. His father wanted it done. It's symbolic. It's not a part of salvation. It's a picture of salvation. Jesus died. He was buried and he rose again. If you're here tonight, you've been saved and you haven't followed Lord in baptism, Easter night would be the best time for you to do that. But for those of us who have been saved, how well have you had an opportunity to know God, to know the Lord Jesus Christ? When's the last time you had holy heartburn? When's the last time that you had the fuzzy wuzzies going inside of you about how wonderful it is to be saved? When was the last time you looked into the face of the heavens and said, Father, thank you for saving me? When was the last time a tear streaked your your cheek and you said, God, thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for for taking me out of a life of misery and giving me eternal life. Give me abundant life. When was the last time that you got close to Jesus? 
Well, when these people saw Jesus, a couple things happened. Their eyes opened. There was clarity. One of the grievous things about being a Christian and working with other Christians and to see how much fog there is in the mind of many people who say they're saved, how afraid they are, how they don't view things correctly. They're clueless on how to be a, a loving husband. They're clueless on how to be a precious mom. Just clueless, like they can't see us, like, like they're just driving through life with fogged up windows, bumping up against everyone and everything and blaming everyone else. Because they do not have a real relationship with Christ. See, and being saved is just more than being saved. It's developing a walk with the Lord. Cleophas and his friend realized real quickly, hang on a second, our eyes are open. We can see things clearly now. We've been in a fog on this walk, but I can see right clearly that's Jesus. Number two, I think there comes gratitude. As he left them, they said, man, was your heart burning? Mine was. While we walk with him by the way. Hey, was that, a, was that great or what? There was a heartburn of appreciation, of clarity and appreciation. I think one of the greatest sins in our church and in my life and your life is a lack of gratitude. We're just not, agree we're just not grateful. We complain about the weather. We complain about the, the politics. We complain about everything. We don't like our house. We don't like this junk, this piece of junk for a car. I can't wait to get another car. This is ridiculous. Like we, like we deserve everything good. We're not happy with our husband, not happy with our wife, and it causes us, that discontentment causes us to, uh, to look for someone else or, be, or run right into Satan's trap. Because we're not thankful. When you look at Romans chapter 1, when you see the deviant sins of society, they all start when they knew God. They glorified God. Neither were they thankful. But they became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened. God deliver us from people in this room who have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, given eternal life, open their mouth and complain about anything. Who do we think we are? Well, when they met Jesus, all of a sudden, hang on a second, I, I, got, I got clear vision. I got a heart of gratitude. Man, was your heart burning? My heart was burning. That was amazing. Oh, we ought to never get over the wonderful joy of knowing Christ and living with him. It takes away every complaint and replaces it with gratitude and compliments to the great God. I find also there was a sense of urgency. Heard a man say one time, you can separate the men and the boys in Christianity with one word, urgency. You can separate a great missionary and an average missionary with one word, urgency. You can separate a, a committed pastor to a lackadaisical pastor with urgency. These people, once they saw Jesus, they had, just, they had had a long day. A lot of emotional things going back and forth from the fact that Jesus is in the grave, now he's resurrected, and they've told us, and Peter went to see it, said it wasn't, hadn't seen him yet, lots of things going on, the close of the day, walking seven miles home. But when they saw Jesus, there was an urgency to get back and let the, let the information be known. I would, I would just ask you, some of you 
When are you going to start serving the Lord? When are you going to start tithing? I don't know anybody who's not tithing. When are you going to start? Are you going to wait till hopefully you win the lotto or something? When are you going to start giving to the Lord? When are you going to start trusting the Lord? When are you going to let, let, lay aside some grudge you have against someone you won't forgive? How long are you going to wait? You're going to you just keep drinking the poison and hoping it hurts the person who hurts you? You know, a face-to-face account with Jesus, without a doubt, will give clarity to life. It will give gratitude, holy heartburn of thankfulness to the Lord. And it will cause us to get urgent about some things. When are you going to go to the next soul winning meeting? They've come by every month over and over again. You don't go. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is very low on your totem pole. You think you're better than that. You've been there, done that, bought the the T-shirt. You don't need to do that. And you'll go week after week, and you won't win anyone to Christ because you don't get out there to do it. You could drive a bus, and you don't drive a bus. You could watch the nursery, you don't watch the nursery. You could love the lost. You could teach a Sunday school class. You could build a class. Some of you folks are sitting and soaking when you ought to be serving and doing something. We're all around saying, I just want to get fed. I just want to get fed. That's what I want to do. You're already fat. It's time to do something. We got lots of information, but a lack of effort, a lack of urgency. Jesus said, occupy till I come. Realize that he is coming again, and we only have a short time. I don't know when I'm going to meet the Lord. It could be soon. And I'm different than you, and you're different than me, and we're not to compare ourselves among each other, but all of us who meet Jesus ought to have a clarity, ought to have a holy heartburn of gratitude and urgency. And may I say, urgency to sacrifice. I don't know if it was a man and woman, but if this man and woman walk seven miles and turn around and walk seven miles back, that's, pretty, that's a sacrifice. Many of us, we just don't have any interest to do anything outside of our comfort zone. I mean, going to church three times a week, come on. You used to do it, but you don't do it anymore. You'll find every reason in the world not to be faithful. You're, you're looking now to your retirement, so you're not sure if you can give to the same way. Not sure I should do that. All these things. There ought to be a little bit of sacrifice. We, we, we're Americans. We live in plush, blessed environments. We get more mad if they don't give us our coffee within a minute. At the drive-thru. We're ready to blow on the horn, start screaming hollering. We think we got problems. Here we find here, there was a sacrifice. It's like, hey, listen, we can't stay here and try to go to bed tonight. We've got to get back and let people know what's going on. And I think, too, the last thing is to share your story. When you have a story, you want to share it. They had a story. They had come face to face with Jesus. And they said, you know, we can't even go to bed tonight. We've got to go tell someone what's happened. Seven miles is nothing. If it's a sacrifice, we can make it. There was urgency, there was gratitude, and there was clarity. Would to God tonight as we exit Easter, Resurrection Sunday 2023, that each of us would say, God, would you give me 
a real encounter with your son Jesus so that I can have some clarity, that I'll stop complaining like an idiot and offer gratitude and appreciation because of the holy heartburn you've given me with, a re- with an opportunity to meet your son. I'll be urgent, I'll be passionate, I'll be sacrificial, and I'll certainly be glad to share my story. Let's pray together.